This is the SSBI podcast. This is all about Microsoft Power BI. My name is Lars Schreiber. A happy morning from Hamburg, Germany, and welcome to this expert's talk of the SSBI podcast. Today, I want to talk about how to build a consulting business on Power BI. My guest for this episode worked more than 25 years for Coca-Cola and then left the company for starting his own consulting business for PowerXL back in 2014. As some of you may remember, Power BI didn't even exist then. It's really good to have you here in my show today. Hello to Sydney. Hello, Matt Ellington. Yes. Hi, Lars. Great to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. <laughs> You're very welcome. Good that you can take the time. I, I can remember that we met, I think, two years ago at the MVP Summit. And um, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure um, if I told you that, but um, you had a huge impact on me running my own business today uh, on Power BI. And um, I can remember that I read an article on Power Pivot Pro written by Rob Colley, I think it was in 2014, uh, where he introduced you as his new partner. Can you remember that article? Yeah, I definitely remember that article. And it was, it was, I believe, if I'm right, it was the 25th of April, 2014. The reason I remember that date was because that's Anzac Day here in Australia and New Zealand, uh, where we remember um, our war heroes. And I met Rob um, over, well, I want to say um, electronically, but I, I met Rob virtually through his website, Power Pivot Pro. So um, the fact that you read that article probably suggests that you were doing the same thing that I was doing around mm -hmm. that time, and that was learning about Power BI. And, oh, sorry, it wasn't even Power BI, of course, back then. I mean, it just goes to show how much things have changed. <laughs> um, but learning about Power Pivot. And yeah. so I was working at Coca-Cola at the time, and You know, frankly, I was um, I was ready for a new opportunity. So, 25 years in one company is a long time, and I really enjoyed my time at Coke. Um, but you know, in that in my last role at Coke, I needed to improve the way that BI information was delivered to my customers. And um, I'm not sure if you know some of these products, but we had a product called um, Performance Point, and Performance Point was um, part of SharePoint Enterprise. And, um, and Microsoft actually purchased that company, if, I, if I've got my details correct. It was a while ago now. And so we had SharePoint Enterprise, and along with that came integration with Power Pivot for Excel and all this sort of early stages of Microsoft making a, um, a new play in this BI space. And when I started to investigate Power Pivot particularly, I was just blown away at how good that piece of software was. And what's more, um, I consider myself to be an Excel guy. And it was 2014. And the product had been around for maybe three years at that time or thereabouts, yep. maybe even a bit longer. And I just could not believe that there was a piece of software with this capability that I didn't know about because I was so passionate about Excel back in those days. And um, so that's how I met Rob. And I'm sorry, I've gone off on a tangent there a bit, but that's how I met Rob. And um, and so I 
um, in my role, I asked Rob just to give us some information and, and, uh, and yeah, sort of, I built up a friendship with him then and, and, you know, decided to go into his line of work, if you will. What, what impressed me back then was, um, I think I, I found Power Pivot Pro in 2013 or something, and I read all these articles, but, um, what I always thought was you have to have a strong IT background um, to be able to work in this business. And your story showed me that this isn't necessarily important or needed. What's your experience with this? Yeah, it's a very good point. And um, I mean, we're talking about this article. I think um, we'll just stick a link in the show notes below. But, sure. Because um, I, do, I do cover some of this stuff uh, in that article if people are interested. Um, but I spent, so of the 25 years I spent at Coke, I spent 15 years, what I would say, in the business. So working in sales and customer service and business planning and a few other things. And then I spent 10 years in IT, so sort of more managing the operations and the efficiency of the business. And I learned a lot about the difference between IT and business by having that unique opportunity of working in both areas. And uh, and I'll come back to your question in a, in a moment, but mm -hmm. one of the things about uh, business people, and, and particularly me, I was always very um, process I still am very process um, structured in my thinking, and and so often that's associated with people working in IT because they're often very logical and structured in their thinking. I mean, a programmer by definition is highly process um, in their thinking style, um, and so when I was in the business, I sort of always wondered about what it would be like to work in IT and wondered whether I belonged in IT. But then when I moved into IT, I realized that um, that I knew a lot about the business as well. That was not uh, not a great fit for IT. It doesn't mean that it's bad for IT people to understand the business, but I certainly was unusual in having the business knowledge that I did when I was working in an IT department because often there's quite a disconnect between those two types of people and, and not really wanting to classify people into bucket A, bucket B. But more realistically, there's there's a continuum of thinking styles and people working in different departments. And so sort of on the left-hand side, if you have the most extreme business person that you could think of with the least technical skills, and I don't want to typecast anyone, but just imagine someone who doesn't need to use technology to deliver their job, um, they're relying on their people skills, their business understanding, but they're just not they're not relying on technology to deliver their skills. So at one end, you have that extreme. And then at the other end, think of someone who's the most technical IT person you can think of, someone who is deep into programming, maybe even um, you know, writing machine language type work or um, you know, building technical APIs or something like that. And the reality is that we all fall on that continuum somewhere in between those two extremes. And I think if I come back to your question, Lars, you were sort of saying that, um, and, and I'm sort of implying or thinking about what you're saying, is that you thought you had to really be on the 
on the IT side of centre of that line in order to be able to um, to work in this BI space. Exactly. And yeah, that that's certainly not my experience because I think as you get towards the centre of that continuum that I described, you start to get this grey area where you have people who are sort of more more IT than the most extreme business person, but they're not quite on the IT side of things. But you get some common skills, which are basic business understanding, basic IT understanding. If you flip over onto the IT side, you might have like a business analyst. So a business analyst would not be the most uh, technical IT person. So maybe they're not going to be um, writing C-sharp code. But at the same time, um, they know enough about IT to talk with the programmer Mm. and they know enough about business to talk with the business person. So what you're really, you know, in asking that question, implied in that question is where where does someone who understands BI, Power Pivot and now Power BI, what sort of skill sets does the person need to have? And the best people have a good mix of business skills and technical understanding and this is actually why I think Power BI has been such a successful product because I was that guy and it sounds like you were that guy as well and all the other you know gals and guys out there who've got that same thinking style and I you know come back and talk about myself when I was working in the business the reason I was successful was because I understood data I understood process I was good at using Excel. When Excel didn't meet my needs, um, I would use Microsoft Access, which is another one of those um, sort of niche products, which is not quite IT, but there to support business people. And, you know, it's just a matter people like me who who were using those tools would have, back in my day, I would have loved to have had these products available. Uh, in fact, maybe my career would have taken a different path if I had a tool of the power of Power Pivot and Power BI you know, when I was 30 rather than when I was 50, uh, quite literally. So, so yeah, I think there's, there's a wide area of people, and I'm sure there's people who are business analysts in IT who could have had a successful career in, in business roles. And there's definitely people in business, in finance, um, in sales analytics who could have had a career in IT. And this um, suite of products that we're talking about here today really enable um, this whole new class of people that can do the development work, so citizen development, if you want to use that term, um, and at the same time have the depth of knowledge of business understanding so that uh, and this is something that I learned from from Rob Colley, you know, early on was that, you know, this handoff between and discussion between the business people and the IT people about what's required and the misunderstandings that happens when one person tells the other person and and that you have loss of knowledge, you have meeting overhead, um, you have mistakes and rework. You know, all of these things come at a cost. Um, but in the new world of... Power BI, Power Pivot, Power Query, where the citizen developers can do the work themselves, then all of those overheads just disappear because there's only one person to do the to do the building, the testing, the prototyping, the deployment, and so on. And um, in, in my in my experience, 
you you talked about they can do everything on their own. Um, sometimes it's not that easy, but they can at least prototype and then give this technical documentation uh, to the IT so they can implement, don't know, enterprise uh, BI solutions. Uh, but being being able to have all this um, conversational errors you were talking about, uh, the information that's getting lost, this is just blown away because they have what they uh, need to implement already. Yeah, exactly right. And I don't mean to oversell that point where I said they can do everything themselves. I mean, they can do everything themselves. If you're living in a pure self-service um, business intelligence world, then you can build robust, repeatable reporting tools yourself and succeed without having assistance. However, if you want to take those tools and turn them into more enterprise strength tools, as you mentioned, then then yes, your, your self-service work becomes a prototype uh, direct input to the enterprise solution, which, which would come next. And so, and because it's a common language that um, that the self-service developers and the enterprise people have, then it just makes that whole process so much easier. So you can have a discussion about dimensions and facts and relationships mm. and DAX. You know, the language is common. Yeah. Um, but increasingly, as this product becomes um, more mature, um, so what are we now, five years? We've just had the fifth birthday for... Power BI, I think Power Pivot might be up to nine years now, and I want to say Power Query's got to be seven years old. So these products, they're certainly not mature, not in the same way that, say, Tableau is mature, but it's uh, it's pretty close. Power BI is pretty close. And increasingly, as new features become available, it's becoming increasingly difficult to be good at everything. And so, for example, you have custom visuals, you've got hmm. uh, Python and R integration, you've got, um, you know, report server for doing paginated reports, like the list just gets, goes on and on and on. And um, I would say that the full suite, there'd be very few people who have uh, competence across the full capabilities of the, of the Power BI stack, even today, just five years in. Yeah, that's a discussion I had in, in one of my earlier podcasts together with uh, Miguel Myers from the Power BI CAT team who does an amazing mm -hmm. job on visualizing uh, data and doing all the, the dashboarding thing. Uh, and he told me, hey, uh, it's not possible to do everything on your own. Just hire a specialist. I studied, don't know, six, seven years for all, all things I know. Uh, just hire someone. And I said, hey, but as a, as a one-man show, you have to know everything a bit. And um, at least to, to uh, provide solutions for your customer, even though they might not be perfect. So um, you're right. Yeah, I think that's true. But I, I would also, sorry, Lars, but I would also say that I think you have to know when you need help. I think that's one yeah. of the key skills of success when you go into business yourself. And I'll give you an example. And it's actually you know, relating to another guest you've had. So, so Reed Havens is a friend of mine as well. And um, and so I was doing some a proposal for a client recently, and it was clear in that proposal that one of the key um, outcomes that they wanted was um, a beautiful looking report. Now I'm not saying that not every customer wants that, but you know, in, for some customers it's more important than for other customers, and mm. look and feel for this particular uh, customer was particularly important. 
And while I consider myself to be pretty competent in data modeling, in DAX, in Power Query, in the science of delivering and analyzing data. So when I say science, I mean, I like to think of data as having the art and the science, right? So the so the art is making it look visually compelling and engaging, and then the science is what's the best way to uh, to visualize this data so that I can extract the insights. I consider myself to be pretty competent in most of the things, but not the art. Now, my daughter's a graphic designer. I don't know where she got those genes from. She didn't get them from me, but you know she's <laughs> good at making things look beautiful and will. I can make things look okay, but I would stop short of saying I can make them look beautiful. Now, when I look at stuff that Reed builds, um, his stuff looks beautiful. Yeah, to me. it does. And so, in this case, um, I just you know made contact with Reed and I said, "Look, I've got this job. There won't be a lot of beautification stuff, but I'd really appreciate it if uh, if you'd be my beautification guy." And that's what that's what he's he's doing for me for this client. So, so I think I think the skill is to know when you need help because, yes, you need to know a bit of everything and that's true, but, um, but I don't take on work that I don't think I've got the, uh, the skill to deliver on. I'll either outsource it and take responsibility for it myself or I'll just say to the customer, you know, I'm not the right person for, for this particular body of work. So it's also important to have a good network for being successful in this business. Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, if, if we're talking about the business of um, Power BI consulting, which, you know, really that's what my business is, um, then yes, it's. I think it's important to have a, a good network. And it's interesting, um, I've spoken to, well, people start off being my colleagues and then over time they become your friends, right? I mean, that's what happens when, when you build a network and and you talk and engage with people about topics of common interest, hmm. uh, inevitably you, you sort of go from a colleague to a, to a friend. And, um, you know, I've, I've spoken to some other friends who have, um, you know, similar businesses he, here in Australia. So uh, Iman Eftakadi runs the Power BI user group here in Sydney with me, and, you know, he's a friend of mine, but he runs a competing business with me. But I never really consider him as competition because he's got his own um, focus in the Power BI area. I have my own focus. So I tend to focus and specialize more on um, coaching and smaller businesses or individual business units who who just need a bit of help or who want some help to fast track a particular body of work. Whereas um, Iman, also based in Sydney, has got a Power BI business as well, but he tends to focus more around enterprise solutions and providing um, in uh, on-site consultants for periods of time and so you can see even though we're doing the same things in the same backyard we're actually probably more complementary than we are uh, competitive in in nature and you know i know people in other states in australia and of course you know people like yourself i've got uh, you know friends and colleagues all around the world that uh, we stay in touch through our uh, various private um, networks that we've that we've set up, and it's great to be able to bounce ideas off people, ask people for help when you need help, maybe um, pass work between people when someone else is more appropriate to do the work than you. So, uh, but yeah, I think it's I think it's important to have a good net. I think you're better with a good network than you would be if you were 
trying to be insular and um, and too protective of your own patch. Hmm. Especially for a one-man show like like us. Um, you you were already mentioning the the meetup, the the Power BI user group you're organizing in Sydney. Um, has this been one part of your network? Uh, for sure, it was. Um, what are you doing for for widening your your network? Um, so certainly the the user group in Sydney um, is part of it. I uh, you know it's a monthly commitment that Iman and I make, and I get to meet uh, lots of people in in the community. Not so much people such as myself and who are running consulting businesses, but um, but real business users of Power BI. Um, you know, as I'm sure you know, you're aware. Maybe that maybe the listeners are not aware, but I actually don't use Power BI a lot. I do have one Power BI report. It's my it's my uh, monthly report that I've built, but uh, I think I've had that report in place for no more than 12 months. So for the first five years I ran a business, I, I really didn't have any Power BI reporting because as a small business, you don't really need the same level of reporting that a that an enterprise business needs or a, even a small business unit that's got five or ten people When you when you're running the business yourself and it's essentially you, the you, you have a pretty good feel for the business and you don't have the same need um, for reporting. And so one of the things that I really like about the uh, Power BI user group here in Sydney is I get to meet real people with real problems and um, and so you know that certainly forms part of my network. Mm. Um, we, as you know, Lars, you know I also have a we have a private um, forum that. That you and I both participate in, and and so uh, I really feel that forum that we've set up is is an important part of building and strengthening our network and and skills and knowledge as well. So yeah, um, a lot of people a lot of people go out into public forums and ask questions and discuss things with people, and and so you know we use our private forum to do that as well, and you know we. Uh, you know, we just like to have a space where we can do that. Um, but that's something that anyone could set up, right? So um, there just has to be um, a will and a commitment from the participants to to get involved. So um, so so that's a big part of it. The MVP um, awards is a an important part of that network as well. So um, you know, some of Some of the people that I'm closest to are also MVPs, people that um, we met, like you and I met a couple of years ago, Lars, in um, in Seattle, and um, quite a few MVPs. Uh, the MVP thing is um, I really value that network and their contact with Microsoft perhaps more than anything else out of that um, that award. I mean, that that's acknowledgement of, uh, of skill, knowledge and community contributions uh, in in short but what i get most out of that is the network and so just having you know knowing who these key people are at microsoft and being able to um, email them if necessary certainly when we meet at the conferences every year to be able to talk to them about particular things i mean that's that's highly valuable to me Yeah, but it's much, much nicer in person being there. <laughs> the last MVP summit is yeah. digitally, as you know. Um, yeah, and the next one, unfortunately, but um, but that is what it is. And, and hopefully we'll get back to face-to-face -to -face, uh, in the future. Yeah. 
even though um, we're talking about digital things, you decided to do one you know, part of your, your business in, in book form. So you were writing books since 2015, I think. And you have this um, supercharged Power BI in place now. So yeah, I, I thought about writing books myself a couple of times and I just haven't been able to overcome myself so far. So why did you decide to write books and how have they been going? Yeah, this sort of all goes back to how we started this conversation with uh, Power Pivot Pro, and um, you know, I'm I'm not saying I'm the um, you know the first person in the world to come up with a a business strategy that works, and I'm certainly not saying that I came up with these ideas. So, what I did back in 2014 was I'd, I'd met Rob and I looked at what he was doing and. He was blogging. That's how I found him. That's how you found him. Yeah. And and in fact, you know, back in 2014, you know, Rob's blog was probably the the predominant um, blog out there on on this stuff. I think he was sharing stuff when when perhaps no one else was, or certainly no one else with the the visibility that that I think he had. And um, and so I just looked at what Rob was doing and thought. Well, I'm going to do what you do, and and I told him that straight up. I, I, was, I was talking to him on the phone one day, and I said, "I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to be. I'm just basically going to do what you do. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a blog, and I'm going to get work doing. Well, back in the day, it was going to be Excel consulting. Um, I was going to be doing Excel, Power Pivot, um, some of these products you may not even heard of, InfoPath, SharePoint." These were the tools that were around at the time when I first started off. Just goes to show how quickly the environment uh, changes. And so I decided that um, that writing a book would be an important part of the uh, the offering because I, I think um, I think when you write a book, people look at you and say, "Okay, well, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about." I think the reality is that you could write a book and not know what you're talking about. So, if I'm perfectly honest, um, but but hopefully the book reviews um, will resolve those that do know what they're talking about and those that don't know what they're talking about. So, I wrote a book because I thought it was an important part of the offering. I saw the success that it gave Rob, uh, and I felt that if I could write a book um, that was as well received as his book, that it would help me. Um, as far as my blog goes, I mean, I've been writing my blog for, well, since day one, uh, going back six years ago now. Um, I actually used to do a lot of, I don't want to call it blogging, but I had a personal interest in forums and sharing knowledge via the web. And I'd written, a, set up a few websites. I don't want to say written website, that's probably misleading, but I, I had shared information on the web um, going back probably 10 or 12 years ago. So I was very interested in voice over IP telephony at one stage, so VoIP. And so I set up a website to share what I had learned about VoIP. So I documenting and writing stuff down and explaining it to other people has always been something that's of interest to me. And I've always got a lot of personal satisfaction um, by just documenting, you know, what it is that I know and explaining it in such a way that 
people that perhaps didn't have quite the technical uh, slant that I had could actually understand it. And um, and so that's why, you know, I was interested in the book and why I was interested in my in my blog, I guess. And um, and then, you know, ultimately why I'm interested in teaching and and explaining. So. Um, so sorry, just also further on that. So my book is called Supercharged Power BI. And so that book, uh, geez, I'm trying to think how old it is now. It's It'll be close on two years, that current edition, if not two years. Um, my first book, the one I wrote back in 2015, was called Learn to Write DAX. And I thought that was a great technical name for that book because that's exactly what it teaches, is it teaches you to write DAX. Um, the problem is that it wasn't a very aspiring name of a book, and the only people that would be interested in a book called Learn to Write DAX uh, were people that already realised that they needed to learn to write DAX. Hmm. And um, so so I actually updated that book um, a couple of years ago, as I mentioned, and and so I renamed the book Supercharged Power BI. And it was, um, once again, I mentioned my daughter before, but um, it was something that my daughter taught me um, at some stage in the last six years that um, the way Apple goes to market is they tell you why first, then they come back and tell you how. And so, um, and so the why is I want to supercharge Power BI, and then the how is... I'm going to learn to write DAX. And so that's the sort of history as to why um, my two books had such different uh, names. But basically, Supercharged Power BI is just the second edition of Learn to Write DAX. And um, there's also an Excel version. Uh, So the first version, Learn to Write DAX, was written for Excel 2013. And then Supercharged Power BI, Supercharged Excel are written for Power BI Desktop and Excel 2016. But... The the Power BI version outsells the Excel version ninety eight to two, sort of orders of magnitude. So whereas um, when I started, and indeed when you started to be interested, uh, Lars, it was all about Power Pivot. Really, the the early majority um, has come on board under the banner of Power BI. It just. In those early days when I was first teaching um, Power Pivot, the only people that would come to DAX training on Power Pivot were those um, more advanced Excel users. Perhaps they'd done a little bit of VBA. Um, they were certainly right into um, the more complex formulas and functions inside the Excel language. The people that were always trying to push the tool to the next level to be able to get the most out of that tool. Whereas now I find when people come to my training courses, they, there is a, a much um, broader group of people who have much broader interest on uh, reporting and analytics who perhaps did, wouldn't previously have considered data modeling and, and say something like the DAX language as being an important part of what they need to do. So we are going to see Supercharged Power BI 2. Yeah, it's actually going to be three, but um, so so it is two. You're right, but um, so as a well, I'll, I'll withhold my uh, my criticisms. But uh, but yes, yeah, so I'm calling Learn to Write DAX Edition One, Supercharged Power BI is Edition Two, and so I'm 
in process of updating Supercharged Power BI, so it'll be coming out as the third edition, but the second version with the same name. And and yeah, so so much has changed in two years, uh, not least of which is the complete user interface has changed from dark theme to light theme, as you're aware. And, and also, of course, the ribbon has completely changed because the ribbon is now the Microsoft Office ribbon. And, um, and so at, at least all of the screenshots have to be updated. But there's another, there's another thing, and that is as you or as I progress and as I learn more about DAX and how to communicate DAX with people, I've learned improved ways of actually um, teaching people. And so as I, as I learn uh, new methods of communicating how something works, then I really want to bring those those new approaches into the into the core book, so that you know the next uh, round of people that buy that book will will sort of benefit from the latest way that I like to explain these concepts. Uh, if I remember the right, I think uh, I can recall that Marco Russo uh, were saying exactly the same thing when they did. Um The definitive guide to DAX one and released the second yeah. version of they they thought oh we just include all the new DAX functions and that's it and they <laughs> it took them I think one and a half years because they had to change almost everything and mainly how they taught DAX and not um, the different yeah, functions. Yeah, that's right. I remember that now as well. And I have to admit, I'm sorry, Marco Alberto, but I haven't read the second edition. Um, although I I have read comments including that one that that the way they've explained it has uh you know evolved over over the years and that they've put quite some effort into into updating that but it's interesting because you know we talked before about um networks and i i raised the topic of colleagues friends and competitors and that that how we can all operate in the same space and the interesting thing so you take You know, Marco and Alberto definitely amongst um, the most respected and knowledgeable people in this space. Uh, I think that would be probably without doubt. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the audience is a little bit different. And this actually comes back to a comment that you made um, very early on on this, uh, on this session, Lars, and that was that, um, you know, you thought you had to be an IT person to be able to work in this space. And... And look, this is this is just my opinion. I mean, others may agree or disagree, but to me, um, you know, Marco and Alberto have a very technical, a formal technical uh, background to their uh, to their approach. And people coming from a SQL background, I think, tend to gravitate to that style of uh, communication and thinking. Uh, and something as simple as Being clear in your own mind, the difference between a table and um, a two-dimensional Excel spreadsheet that's got some names at the top and um, five rows of data. You know what I mean? Like that's not a table. That's a spreadsheet with a whole lot of data in cells that is physically laid out on a page and it looks like a table, but it's not a table. A table is an object in its own right. It has... It has um, a defined number of columns. It can have uh, one or more rows. Uh, the columns have data types. They have fixed names. And and so the point I'm trying to make is that if you come from a SQL background, 
then you will tend to gravitate towards people that have that teach um, in a way that you understand. And I think that's been part of the success of my book is that because I don't come from that technical background, and so I come from the Excel background that I've. I've been in the trenches with the users who who perhaps don't have that technical formal understanding. And so the way I communicate and teach tends to be targeted more towards that user. And and I think there's a place for both. Now, I don't think people will read my book and perhaps come to one of my training courses or read my blog or whatever. They will definitely get to a high level of and a high standard of understanding of data modeling and DAX and Power BI from my content. But if they want to be, if they want to go to the next level, I would say definitely you have to start going to SQL BI and, you know, reading Marco and Alberto's material and start watching some of their videos and looking at some of the other, um, you know, more technical um, articles out and around because. Um, you know, I think I can only take people so far because at the end of the day, my knowledge only goes so far, right? Hmm. Um, I think I am the perfect example for what you were saying because uh, when I take a look into my um, shelf, I can see um, Power Pivot for Excel 2010 written by Marco and Alberto. And um, I, I bought this book and I wasn't able to understand what this book was, was saying. And um, afterwards, I, I uh, read a book by Rob Colley, which was far more from the Excel side, because I'm, I'm an Excel guy myself. Um, I, I've programmed VBA. I've done a lot with uh, formulas and complex stuff, uh, or what I, what I see as complex. And um, after reading that book and understanding what it was about, it was, I was able to read Definitive Guide to Dax 1. But it, I wasn't able to understand this stuff um, before reading his way of explaining the the technique behind it, yeah, yeah, and as I said up front, I mean I learned a lot from Rob in my early days, and I also have a natural inquisitive approach anyway, and tend to um, to get in under the hood and try and work things out myself and i I did, um, I describe it as a, I have a bit of a hacker technique. So the best way I can describe it that people might understand would be um, VBA, Excel VBA. So I taught myself uh, VBA for Excel. I didn't go to any training courses. Um, not even sure if I bought a book. I might have bought, bought a book at some stage. But the way I learned Excel VBA was to turn on the macro recorder hmm. and um, and do some stuff and then go and have a look at the code and try and work out um, you know basically what was going on. So um, so so yeah so you know that's the way that I I learned as well. And um, so I understand you know what you're saying about you know the difference between uh, Rob's book and and Marco Alberto's book. But you know just just to be clear, I'm not saying that their books, you can't learn from their books. You Absolutely, you can. I just think that if it's your first book and you come from an Excel background, then I don't think the definitive guide to DAX is the right place to start. Yeah, that's I think, um, exactly. I think there's other products, and really my, my book was targeted at uh, those business users. One thing I would like to add is you're saying there is a place for both kinds of explaining the, the technique or the the engine, the way how to use uh, DAX and the way to model your data. 
Uh, and there can also be a transition from one side to the other, which I did, and I think you you too, uh, starting at explaining it for the Excel guy and then learning it how Marco and Alberto are explaining the the depth of yeah, the I, engine. I think so, although I would also say that I think I did learn the Alberto-Marco way fairly early on, certainly when it came to evaluation context and context transition. It's the hardest topic by far, um, and most people, most people coming from an Excel background do not understand that topic the first time around. But I certainly uh, couldn't have explained it without um, learning from um, from the work that Marco Alberto have done. So, um, so I actually probably did learn from them first before I could explain it. But this actually raises another really important point, and that is when you learn with the intention to teach somebody else, you learn at a depth of knowledge that is far beyond what you would learn if you're um, learning just for your own consumption purposes. Mm, agree. When you have to explain it to someone else, you just go orders of magnitude deeper in your understanding. And so I find this over and over again when I write my blog articles and certainly when I wrote my book, that the process of clearly documenting what you're trying to say and the iterations over that um, continuously improve your your depth of understanding to a point where perhaps uh, at times I've got to the stage where I thought, do you know what, I really don't understand this enough yet. And I've had to park an article and go away and do some more learning and research. And often, I, often at SQL BI in order to understand that. But, you know, there's many other, um, you know, great stuff out there. I mean, I've learned lots of stuff from, you know, Phil Seamark, these other people that are, um, that are in, within our community, um, you know, so, um, yeah, lots lots of different ways to learn. He's got good stuff on DAX fusion and aggregations. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. amazingly creative. Yeah, um, but, you know, just perhaps before we sort of wrap up on this, uh, another thing, you know, as I said, I do a lot of training and things, and I, I, have, a, I have an intermediate slash advanced training course, and I, I sort of don't really know how best to label it because most people, well, I've taught literally thousands of people, let's call it, um, you know, 101 or beginners or the, the basics of DAX. But then many people want to come back and learn some more. And the question is, what do they need to learn? Do they need to learn intermediate DAX or do they need to learn advanced DAX? And I think, you know, it's a bit of an assumption from me, but I think most people think they're ready for advanced DAX. But in my experience, most people need intermediate DAX or intermediate data modeling. And and so I sort of, my course, I call it intermediate slash advanced. If I just called it intermediate, I think many people that need to learn perhaps wouldn't be attracted by that, by that topic or that title. Whereas um, the reality is that I think my content is intermediate. And it's, it's, easy to make progress in Power BI, in data modeling, in writing DAX, with actually out having a good depth of understanding of how it works. You actually can get by without having a depth of understanding of how it works. And 
And so, in my experience, if if I can get hold of those people and just spend time talking about how it actually works, then they're building themselves a platform from uh, from which they can grow from there. And they probably don't need advanced training because if you, I think once you get to that that level of you know solid understanding of how the engine works and and how formulas are evaluated, um, I think you can pretty much uh, just you know read and continuously learn definitive guide to DAX, um, you know various other uh, YouTube videos and those sorts of things. So, so yes, yeah, so that's my that's my belief. Um, just just because you you're mentioning your training classes, um, what's your experience? What people have the most problems with understanding Power BI? Is it the modeling part or is it DAX? Is it ETL or is it that they don't understand that good modeling makes DAX pretty easy? Or what is it? Yeah, good. It's a very good question. Um, I I sort of alluded to it early on. I think it's actually the modeling part. So often I'll get uh, I'll get contacted because you know I do consulting as well. People will contact me and say typical typical introductory email will say look, we've got this uh, model set up and it's all going well, but I'm just having trouble with this one DAX formula. Um, can you help me? And in, in, invariably, I will contact the customer, we'll take a look at what they've done, and the first question I always have is, show me your model. And by the model, I mean switch to the model view. Let's have a look at the tables and the relationships. And what they've got is not a good data model for Power BI. And so I think there is a lack of understanding of the importance of a good model in order to be able to write good, sustainable, scalable um, reports. And and so, and it comes back to that comment I made before that often Excel people don't have a clear understanding of what a table is and the importance of a table, and that you can't. There's no such thing as a cell reference in a table. You, you can't say give me uh, B5, right? You have to say, you have to say, give me the table, put a filter on that table so that only row five remains. And after row five is the only one that remains, then go to column total sales and give me the number. It's a very different way of thinking. And so people struggle with that. In my experience, Excel people struggle with that. They don't often think that they struggle with it, but I can see it in their eyes when when you try and explain it that they don't quite get it. Um, so so getting that right is is really important. Um, you know the DAX language in a way it's good because uh, it's very similar to Excel. It's a functional language. So DAX is a functional language, and so that all that really means is that. Um, you have functions, so a function is like a black box, and it's def it's a defined function. It takes a number of parameters. You give it the parameters, it gives you a result back, just like a, a black box. Now, that's very different to, say, SQL. SQL is a scripting language. Um, VBA is a scripting language where you actually, you know, write lines of code, and, and those, that, those code get executed Uh, in order to return a result. So it's a very, the similarities between Excel and DAX um, are actually striking and deliberate, actually. Um, I'm sure that's why Microsoft B365 
built DAX as a functional language was to make it easier for Excel people. But it's sort of, if you don't get that solid understanding of tables and relationships and the purpose of relationships and columns and measures, those concepts are really part a fundamental part of the the language and and the model based tool that that Power BI is, and as I said, one of the problems is you can actually make progress without really understanding that properly, and um, and so all that happens is you get further down the track before you realise you're lost, which can be dangerous in its own in its own sense. So I think that's what um, most people struggle with. Yeah, I have that a couple of times myself that people call me and say, hey, we're working with Power BI for months now and we're doing good progress, but now we have a problem with a single visualization. It simply doesn't work. And you ask them for the star schema and say, and they say, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah, don't yeah. feel the need to model. And this is why uh, we've talked about Marco Nabel so much already, but um, they they published a book about data modeling, which has nothing about data modeling in its title. And this is because... Yeah, I've got it sit, it's sitting on my desk. It's called Analyzing yeah. Data with Microsoft Power BI and Power Pivot for Excel. Yeah, exactly. Why, why is data modeling not, not part of the title? Because nobody who should be reading it would buy it um, because of this word, because they don't even know what it is and why they should do it. Yeah. So it's not so much that people... Um, don't want to do it. They just don't understand the importance. And and part of it is because you can make progress without understanding. And so it's a double it's a double edged sword. Um, you know, I I sort of have been fairly vocal over the years about calculated columns as well. So that's another very common um, error that people make early on. Excel people, I'm talking particularly. And so um, the trouble with uh, Power BI for an Excel user is that it's it's a conceptual model. So there's tables, relationships, and you have to be able to almost visualize in your head what's going on because in a perfect world, you'll be writing DAX measures to extract aggregations from the data that's stored in your tables. And so you build a visual, the visual filters your data, and then the measures will aggregate or summarize that data somewhat. Now, that's all fine until you're missing something. And so the examples I always use in my training is, you know, you've got cost price and sell price, but you don't have margin or profit. And so the temptation is always to jump into the data view where I can see the data because once you look in the data view, you can see the tables and you can see the columns, you can see the rows, you can see the numbers, and then it feels like Excel. And that's when people fall into the trap. So because once they're looking at the data, it feels like Excel. They jump over and create a new column and they've made progress, right? And and they have made progress. But it's a um, it's a slippery slope when when you start going down that path because just because you can do it that way doesn't mean you should do it that way. Certainly doesn't mean it's the best way to do it. And um, and so I, I'm a real believer of just do whatever you can to get the job done. The reality is that we all have deadlines. Um, we have to deliver stuff on time. And sometimes the way you know how to do it, if as long as it gives you the correct answer, then that's just just fine. 
Um, but longer term, if you're going to build a model, a model-based tool, um, one of the things that I learned very early on in my six years um, doing this was I was doing some work for a client very early on. And and I realized how back in those days, the power pivot models that I were, what was building had evolved over time. So you don't just sort of build a new Power BI workbook every time you've got a new problem. If you build a Power BI workbook for sales, for example, or for your for your um, financial reporting, next time you've got a financial reporting problem, you don't go and build a new Power BI workbook. You take the old one and you enhance it. And so, and I don't say the old one, but you take your current, the model that you've previously built and you either um, do new reporting on the model that you've got or you extend or enhance the model that you've built so that it becomes more useful than it was before you made the changes. And so this model grows with you over time, right? So now another thing that I learned very early on in in my career is that you go through this learning curve where you you have enough to be dangerous and then you start building um, you know models and then you learn more and more and more and then six months later you look back at the early work that you did and you think my goodness <laughs> this is a mess you know like I would never build a model like that and if you get to that stage and I can almost guarantee most people who are self-taught or at least learning as they go, who who are who've started the work and then do some sort of learning, formal learning, reading. Most people would and probably should get to a stage where they stop, look back at what they've got, and just say, maybe I should just start again. And if you do start again with your accumulated skills, knowledge, and experience over over six to twelve to eighteen months. I think you would find most people would find that they could rebuild um, the end-to-end model in like ten percent of the time that it took, or ten percent of the effort that it took to build the the one that evolved slowly over time and perhaps you know made some mistakes. You don't know what you don't know when when you start off on a journey, and um, and so sometimes yeah, it would be appropriate to pause and look back and just say, look, I'm I'm just going to invest some time on building a, a new design that's going to be more robust and scalable and extensible. Yeah, this this is correct. People don't know what they don't know and they don't know which questions to ask. And the marketing from Microsoft is more clicky, clicky, draggy, drubbery. Everything is yeah. done in a couple of seconds. And uh, so they just believe it and, and do their thing. And as you said, we all have deadlines. They just work on and... Um, the the model evolves if there is a model at all, and yeah, the the problems appear later on. And this is what I experience myself. Um, I tell customers that oftentimes in the beginning I have to dry some tears because they are proud of what they did and they did it for weeks or months, and then you come and tell them, hey, the, you have to tear all of this down to build it up uh, completely new, just to have a robust model. And a, and a working solution for the next month. So I think we've got to go back to something I said before, and that was that you have to know as, as a consultant when you don't have the skills to cover something that um, that perhaps you're not an expert in. So you've got to know when to bring in help. And I think it's the same for these 
um, business users. I mean, we've been predominantly talking about business users. Um, I'm assuming it's more about business users than perhaps um, professional IT people. It's one of the things that I observed when I worked in IT is that IT as a profession or as a department, um, depending on how you want to categorize them, are much more uh, willing and understanding that they need to pay for expertise. And that's in the form of getting perhaps consulting work in, either short-term or longer-term, to help with a particular problem. It's also true when it comes to things like um, industry um, learning events and and conferences and things like that. Um, I saw in my business years, I saw you know salespeople and finance people found it much harder to get approval to go to a conference for two days where you take time out of the business and you focus on learning some new skills or something like that. Whereas in IT, I saw that that happened um, pretty regularly. And so, um, so yes, yeah, so I think it's if you're in IT, yes, you perhaps aware that you need to get that expertise. But now we're moving into this world of um, self-service BI where – um, you know, people perhaps get quite a way down the track before they realise that they they've got a problem, which is you know what we pretty much talked about before. You recently decided to team up uh, with two other Power BI heavyweights to create Skillwave. Um, do you want to say something about it? In April this year, so Ken Pools and Miguel Escobar and myself decided to uh, to team up and. We uh, so we have skillwave.training, so we perhaps put a link in the um, in the show notes. But it's um, and it really comes out of my friendship with uh, with Ken. I mean, I, I know Miguel as well, and I've, I've met Miguel, and but I sort of I've known Ken for for longer. And uh, Ken and I were in New Zealand earlier this year at a conference. So you know, we're talking about the network before. This is how it all comes together, right? So, so Reza Rad um, runs the Definity Conference in New Zealand every year, and Ken and I were over there, and then Ken and I organised to do a training course down in Wellington together. We'd, we'd been looking to do something together for a while, and so we delivered a training course uh, in Wellington while we were over in New Zealand. And then sort of not long after that, sort of Ken made contact with me and just talked, sounded me out about joining him and Miguel um, to try and make what they originally had, which was Power Query Academy, very uh, complete and capable Power Query training course. They were looking at expanding into something bigger and thought that they would do a better job um, working together than, than individually. And I think this is actually another important point. And the reason that I was keen to to get involved is that um, you know I certainly know uh, Power Query. I'm competent in Power Query. I had my own Power Query training course. Um, I know a lot about DAX as well and visualization. And um, you know, as I said, is not necessarily one of my my greatest areas. But I just believe that you can be better when you collaborate. Than because no one person knows you know everything, and and so I just felt that the my training, particularly my online training, my video online training content would be better um, in a collaboration than it, than it could be if I if I did it myself. And so um, so we basically merged my Power Query training course 
with the Power Query Academy. We're almost finished um, the next course, which we're calling Dimensional Modeling. Interestingly, you talked about um, Alberto Marco's book earlier on not mentioning uh, data modeling. (laughs) But the the course that we're just about, we're just almost finished, is called Dimensional Modeling. And um, but you know our target audience is people who have learned some DAX, they've learned some Power Query, um, are now aware that they need to learn data modeling and dimensional modeling, and so that course that we've built will bring uh, those things together. And so that's it's a combination. If you think about dimensional modeling, it's not DAX, it's not M, it's not Power Query, it's everything, right? Hmm. Um, it's all of those things coming together. And so a lot of the training course content that we've got is very um, uh, it's very targeted at one piece of the process. So, you know, how do you connect to a SQL Server database and, and restructure your table to load it into Power BI? Well, that's a Power Query task. The knowledge of what table you need is a dimensional modeling topic, if you like. And then writing the formulas becomes a DAX topic. So so really that course brings all of those things uh, together. But, I mean, I've learned so much by um, by working with these guys since uh, since April, so whatever that is now, so sort of three or four months. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. And we've got, we've got uh, big aspirations of, of making that bigger and better and – a great place for people to learn. I think I attended Ken's and Miguel's uh, training course back in 2015 when they did it uh, digitally, but in, in person. I don't know if that's yeah, correct yeah. English, but it was no no video. Yeah. I could ask questions and see what they are doing. And um, yeah, they, they do a great job. They definitely know what they are teaching and uh, they are great personalities, nice guys. Uh, that was um, back in the days when I developed this um, M editor for Notepad++ and I sent it over to Ken and asked him what he thinks about it. And he was, wow, this is possible. And the the funny part, now we come back to networking, is that uh, I think three or four months later, my wife and me, we went over to um, to Canada and um, I asked him where he lives and it was close uh, to the place where we were. So we actually mm-hmm. met. Uh, so he and his wife and me and my yeah. wife, we sit together and had lunch. It was uh, such a nice time. He's really... Really a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Miguel's a great guy as well. And you know, so um, if you look about uh, talk about skills, you know, expanding on this concept that we've sort of been talking about, threaded between our conversation here. Um, you know, Ken, he's comes from a he's an accountant, comes from a finance background, so he's got really good depth of understanding of business and finance. And he's excellent at Excel. He's actually an Excel MVP. He's excellent at Power Query. He's pretty good at DAX, but it's not his main game, right? He's got so many other things that he's really good at. Um, you know, Miguel also, you know, he's he's probably more technical than Ken and I put together. Um, <laughs> got good understanding. I mean, this guy can write custom APIs. He's got an an amazing eye for for visualization and um, graphic design i mean I, I actually think he's a closet graphic designer so the quality of the the look and feel of the stuff that's on our site and in our course comes from miguel 
and he's amazing what he can do. And he's great at Power Query, of course, as you know, and, and the M language, but a much deeper coding background than the, than the rest of us, the other two of us. Um, whereas, you know, I'm my specialty is really, you know, business understanding, um, the DAX language and data modeling. And I've certainly known my way around Power Query, but um, I wouldn't, um, you know, I wouldn't say that uh, I know everything and I certainly have to ask Ken and Miguel questions. So, um, so I think it's the fact that, you know, different people from different uh, backgrounds can come together that actually makes, um, you know, partnering in that way compelling. Although now that I say the word um, partner, you know, I remember you said earlier on, uh, Lars, about, you know, you and I are basically doing this ourselves. You know, we're in business by on, on our own. I think there's certainly something to be said for doing it yourself. Um, you know, you your own boss, um, you don't have to deal with the challenges um, that come with, you know, being in a partnership. I'm not, I don't think I would have left my corporate job to join it, to create a partnership with somebody else. I'm just not sure that that was the right, um, you know, risk approach for me to take. I, I felt much more comfortable being um, totally responsible for the outcomes myself without, um, you know, having to take on the responsibility of someone else, you know, doing their fair share and, um, you know, somebody else uh, being compatible with me. I, um, you know, it's, you, you know what I'm saying? So I think um, sure. now I'm at the stage where uh, this SkillWave, uh, training JV that we've got going, it's, it's not my main game. Um, I'd like it to be my main game at some stage. I'd love it to get to a stage where it's so successful that it can be the you know the main um, line of business for me. But um, I'm managing the risk by it not being, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. I guess I know the answer already, but um, have you ever regret leaving Coke to do your own thing with Power BI? Not for one nanosecond is the truth. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, I, I sort of set up front, you know, I was ready for for something new at the time, and you know, I, I don't I don't mean to imply um, that I would have left for anything because I because I certainly uh, wouldn't. But you know, twenty five years it was half of my life at the time, and you know, I was ready for something else. It was it was not so much that. Um, any one thing. It was more just an alignment of of, of op opportunities. So, you know, this product came along, Power Pivot came along. Um, I just saw an enormous potential. Although, as I said, I sort of my my first approach was perhaps a little bit off because it. I ended up um, my company originally was going to be custom business solutions. So building custom business solutions using Excel and, as I mentioned before, so InfoPath and SharePoint. But it very quickly became evident to me as I was focusing that the big opportunity was Power Pivot. And, um, and so, you know, in some ways I was fortunate in my timing. In other ways I was, um, you know, quite well planned in my timing. So I'm not sure I would have taken that change at that point in time if it wasn't that I could see some option there 
But um, but having said that, um, if I look back now, I couldn't be happier. Um, you know, I think I think you get good luck and bad luck in life, and when you get bad luck, you actually don't get any say whether it happens or not, and when you get good luck, you don't get any say whether it happens or not either. So you better just take advantage of the good luck when it comes because, you know, you just can't control these things. Um, but in a way, you do make your own luck. So, you know, don't don't come up with some crazy idea of becoming the world's best bark basket weaver and trying to corner the market unless you really believe that that's going to happen, right? So um, my kids give me a hard time because... I've had so many million-dollar ideas that I've shared with them over the years that uh, every time I mention something now, they say, that another million-dollar idea, Dad. <laughs> and um, and it probably is, but I wouldn't give up my day job in order to, to go and pursue it, right? So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have any regrets. Um, I think I'm very fortunate that the timing was, was right for me. Um, I've got to say it's a big risk to leave... Um, a paid job to go into business for yourself. Um, I wouldn't have done that 20 years ago. You know, everyone has uh, their own risk profile. There are some people who are just entrepreneurs, right? So I mentioned uh, my friend Iman before. So, you know, he's a real entrepreneur. You know, he's got his own business. Um, he backs himself and he just goes and makes it happen. And, and that's sort of, it's in his DNA. I'm actually not that sort of, I'm actually more risk averse than that. Um, and so earlier on in my career, I wouldn't have taken the plunge of going into business myself. But things change. And, you know, if you've got a career in an organization and um, you get to some point where, your risk profile changes. You know, maybe your you know kids a bit older and perhaps leaving home, or you know maybe you get some sort of financial security in your life where you're able to take more of a risk with perhaps not having an income for, or certainly not the same income for a period of time. Then of course you can take that into account and and maybe take a risk. I admire people who um, are entrepreneurial and risk taking. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I did this at 50, not at, not at 40 or not at 30, you know what I mean? So, so in a way it wasn't really a massive risk for me and, um, but I'm certainly grateful and glad and fortunate that it, you know, worked out the way it has. And no, I, I haven't, I don't look back very, very happy with the way things are. And I think there's, um, I think there's plenty of work out there for Power BI I think it's just such an exciting uh, growth area. I don't think we're anywhere near the top of the peak yet. I think demand for Power BI is going to continue for many years. It'll certainly see me through to retirement, and and I'm sure it'll continue to grow and go from strength to strength for many years after that. Yeah, especially when you think about the whole power platform. It's not only Power BI, but... Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. Yeah. This is why I built my own business on it. I really believe in in its success and it's already very successful as we all know. So having talked about your your leaving leaving Coke and doing your own thing, is there anything you would teach your younger self if you could go 10 years back into the past? So something you would 
like to do differently? You know, probably the biggest regret I can think of um, was that I mentioned that I, you know, I modelled my business on on Rob, and um, and so very early on, one of the one of the commitments I made to Rob and um, he he helped me was to let me blog on his website. So if you go back. You know, out of, just out of interest, if you were to go back to 2014, you'd see that I had an article on Rob's website um, certainly every month. I reckon I did it every two weeks. I wrote an article on his website for a couple of years. And um, he, Rob offered that to me as a, a way of, of me getting some exposure with his audience. But, you know, as I said, I liked blogging anyway. And so, you know, I was happy to do that. But what I did was I neglected my own blog during that time. And so, you know, probably 12 or 20 months, 20 months in before I really started to seriously make the same commitment to my own website as I'd made uh, the commitment to Rob. And so it's very hard when you start out. There's lots to do. And, um, you know, you're trying to build a business, build a website and make deliver on the commitments that you've made. And uh, so that's the that's the thing that comes to mind that I really regret. I should have started a year or two years earlier on putting out quality content of my own uh, on my own website. You know, really, your website. If if you're interested in going into business like this, I just really believe your website is the most important um, place that you can invest time time in. I mean, and time is money doesn't cost me anything financially to write a blog article. But, you know, I'm sure you do know, uh, Lars, but a good blog article takes, on average, I think about four hours to write. At and least, so yeah. that's, yeah, on average. So some of them only take two hours. Um, some of them take six. Um, and so... Um, but you know, I do it for many reasons. I, as I said up front, I, I've always enjoyed sharing what I know. So I get personal satisfaction, you know, when people send me comments or send me emails telling me how I've helped them, I really, it's very rewarding for me and I, I enjoy doing that. Um, but people, um, you know, Google, basically controls business these days, right? So so you go to Google and type, what's the difference between some and some X? Hmm. Well, if you were to do that search today, my webpage would be the first, or my website would be the first return result that, you, that you'll get. And the reason it's the first result is because the content is there, it's well thought through, and it's obviously highly enough rated by Google that it comes up as the as the first outcome. And so ultimately my blog serves multiple purposes. It, um, I like sharing. It helps me think through and structure my, my thinking and my learning. And, and hopefully it means that not only can someone else get some benefit from that, but hopefully at some point in time, someone will reach out to you and say, um, I'm stuck with the DAX formula. Can you help me? And, and then you can you know, get some sort of commercial benefit from, from that arrangement as well. So yeah, if you were going to start out again, if I was starting out again, I would just I would start on that sooner than um, than I did. Um, another thing, if I could tell my um, younger self, would be think a little bit more about the name 
of your company. So I mentioned before that my, originally I was I was thinking I was going to be custom business solutions. So not many people who know of me would know this, but my company was called Accelerator CBS, Accelerator Custom Business Solutions. And at the time I thought that was a great name and but you know if I had my time again, I changed it to Accelerator BI about 12 months in once I realized that I needed to do that. But, um, yeah, the Accelerator name is not something that I really wish I did now. Um, so one of my other friends, uh, Gilbert Quivilius from uh, from Queensland. For so his company is called For Moo, For <laughs> Moo, right? So you know, you know. And, but it's it's... It's such a simple name. You know how to spell it. Um, it's easy to brand. It's easy to remember. And everyone you know, asks you what, what it's about. Said, <laughs> well, well, maybe, but um, but at the same time, um, you know, you think of someone like say Chandu. So you know, the, the, he's a very um, well-known Excel guy. His website's called Chandu.org. Um, and all right, if you don't know anything about Excel, then you're not going to know what Chandu is. But once you've been to that website, once you'll remember it. The challenge I have with with my company name is, uh, it took me twelve months to be able to know how to write my own email address because how do you spell accelerator? <laughs> so, um, so I mean, it, it it seemed like a good idea at the time to sort of embed the word Excel because everything that I was doing was going to be Excel-centric. Hmm. But then 18 months later, there's a brand new product called Power BI, which changes everything. And so, you know, if you're setting up – if I was setting up a company today, I would not put the words Power BI in my company name. Hmm. I think I would have six years ago, but I certainly wouldn't today. I, I think you just got to be a little bit careful. Um you know, you take YouTube as a brand. Everyone knows what YouTube is. It doesn't say anything about video or, you know, streaming online video or anything like that. I mean, Tube implies television. So I think it's a very clever name, but it's easy to spell. It's something that has um, a brand that you could build over time. And, um, yeah, I, I just wish I'd taken a little bit more time. I guess it's the same problem many people have. Look at Rob Colley, Power Pivot Pro. They they reduced exactly. it to PPP or three P, uh, but P three now P three, yeah. uh, but Power Pivot is is not a thing today, or not not as much as back in the days. And when I decided for my name, which is um, SSBI minus Block DE, uh, which stands for the Self Service BI Block, I was also thinking about doing something with Power BI. But I never, I thought I never know if I have to include another uh, um, technique, another um, tool into my toolbox, and then the name doesn't fit anymore. So, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Es ist schon spät. <laughs> es ist schon spät. Exactly. Matt, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for sharing your your insights and your your personal information with us not only uh, with me, but also with our listeners out there. And um, for you being out there, thanks for taking your time, your precious time listening to both of us and hope to see you back in my next episode. Thanks, Lars. Appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> Bye, Matt. See ya.